Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team and KIT. Hello and welcome to another podcast, Energy Workforce of Tomorrow, sponsored by Ericsson. Jerry, welcome again. Hi, Jason. Do you remember last time we said there'd only be space for one Scotsman on these podcasts? I do remember that. Why are we sitting across from another Scotsman? I'm not sure he's a Scotsman. Maybe he's an honorary Scotsman? Wow. I was born in Scotland. Do you drink Oban, David? Oban is the word. <laughs> so David Reed, yeah. NOV CTO, CMO, would you like to introduce? I am the CMO and CTO for NOV. Anything with an acronym. What does NOV stand for, David? National Oil Varco was three large brands, very large acquiring company. And so we acquire companies at a rate of about one a month on average and have done for most of my career 30 years. So yeah. That continues to this day. Yeah, sometimes less, sometimes more. So it's been quiet and it's ramping up again, but you'll never see a press release. How about that? We do these things and we generally don't talk about it. You know, that's interesting, Jason, because we were planning to talk a bit about culture today. So that must be pretty interesting if you're trying to drive a culture and you're acquiring companies left and right, and yet you never announce that. What does that mean from a cultural perspective for NOV? That's a deep question. I don't know if it means anything. What it does mean is we have a very small company culture in a very large company, which isn't just a theory. We've tested and seen that, that it operates in all places around the world as if it's just a small company. And we all feel that way because most of us came in from small companies. And most all acquisitions include people staying, which is very different to other acquisitions. It's interesting. It definitely presents culture challenges because groups will turn up and they can be different. But for the most part, they're really similar because they're small companies and small companies who are performing well. And we pick them up not because they're in distress, but because we like them and they fit. It's surprising how little work we do to integrate people. And as they get to know the company, they find it's very much like them. So it's a really not a typical story for how companies run. But we often get asked, is that sustainable? Because there's a lot of culture things that are very different and look like they couldn't work over time with a large organization. But we don't know another way. So, so far, so good. So do you have pockets, David, of two? Got, only got two pockets? Well, I have four. I have the, the back go. ones Bobo. as well. I mean, joking apart in NOV is, there you go. You forgot. I told you, Jerry, there should only be one Scotsman <laughs> on this show. This was the wrong thing. To do. Uh, <laughs> is it pockets of culture within NOV? And how do you drive a standard of what the business wants to be? How does that work in NOV? Well, they're different. I mean, assuming that culture is a one style thing that everyone does is actually very anti-human kind of thinking. Yep. Human beings don't work that way. They don't have a single behavior. There's a range of behaviors. We tend to think more in family terms. In your family, and everyone's not the same. Whereas corporate terms are very, like, there's no corporate children. It's not a style of human being. Oh, what a very corporate child you have. Nobody's saying that because it's not human behavior. So when you try mass control of human beings, it's not a good idea. And, you know, it ends up being not true. Whereas family, it's messy. 
it's more real and tangible. And so it's not all the same. There are foundations that are the same. And um, we didn't really think about it, but when we, it was about 2014, we did a study of the company. Everyone called it a family, which was really bizarre because we didn't tell anyone to do that. We didn't have corporate messaging, but it was a common language that we all had that people felt connected and close. So maybe to draw on that analogy a bit, David, if NOV is a family and each acquisition then becomes like an adopted child, yeah. then is the CEO and or the corporate or central leadership sort of like the mother and father and they set out the kind of vision for what they want the family to be and general guidance like parents would, but other than that, let the kids go find their way? Like what's yeah. the approach there? I don't know that we think of the companies as little kids. They're more adult and I think that's really important to understand is that it's not a heavy, here's the boss, you know, a weird thing. And I, no one made this a rule, but every leader is known by their first name and there isn't a last name when you talk about them, but no one tells anyone to do that. But culturally we do that. There's no Mr. Anything. There's no Mrs. Anything. It's just not something that we do. And no one's told anyone to be or do these things. So most of it is actually more natural than you would think. If we said Clay is our father, everybody would be like, what are you doing? Yeah. because <laughs> yeah, they And someone would be like, who's Clay? Someone who was doing those studies a while back came and said, I was in Singapore and I met the head of this place we were at. And I asked him about his leadership and he didn't really know them. And he had no clue who you were. And I was like, good. Well, that's not good. Like he should know. Why should he know who I am? What has that got to do with anything? They feel like they own their business. They understand their job is to grow the business. They understand their market. And what they do is there's value in working with others in the company. They choose to do so because it's good for the business, not because someone told them. You could have an accretive acquisition or a strategic acquisition. A yep. strategic being like one plus one equals three, yep. accretive being one plus one equals two. How would you characterize the acquisitions at NOV? Do they kind of fit one of those versus the other? No, it depends. I mean, if you imagine the rate at which we do, there's different motives in different markets, right? Sometimes you're consolidating a market, which we will do. We'll take a certain area where there's way too many players and we'll put that together and it does have a strategic effect. Other times we're adding capacity. Like when we went through the big upturn, we needed capacity. So there's a lot of places we'll just be adding capacity. And sometimes we're taking technologies. I mean, we had a strategy for a while. It's not our global. We do this every time, but we had a belief in drilling rigs that if we could integrate all of this, we could take tons of risk and waste out. We did it and became very, very strong in that space, grew the company extremely well. But that was a long-term strategy that developed for us that we just stepped back and saw the pain of construction and thought we could do something here. And the assumption of many people afterwards was that's what we're going to do with everything, which it isn't. I mean, there's our, our wellbore business has very strong brands that are wildly more noticeable by their names than NOV would be in their space. And so that's okay. Our fiberglass business is very, I actually sat at a table with our competition in Oman and someone across the table said, hey, I hear Fiberglass Systems has this little drilling business. And, <laughs> and I laugh now, we're a very big drilling equipment company that has a small group called Fiberglass. It was unthinkable to the competition because we're so strong in that space mm. and we do so many things well in that space that they just assumed that was the big parent. That's healthy. Mm. David, take that a little bit further and clear if you cross boundaries. What about the cultural Multi multinational, going across Asia, Africa, Middle East, Russia, 
How does that deal as well? Because that's always, you and I have spoken about that as a tough one as well before. Well, it's always different. You can't change the natural culture of people. You can't say, let's all act like Americans or let's be amazing like Scottish people. <laughs> um, Can you just uh, say that again? <laughs> let's be amazing. It's not a joke, Jerry. Jerry, you can't laugh at this. Come on now. It's, I think he's fallen on the floor at this point. Well, amazingly sarcastic. Does that help you? You can oh, use dark humor to manipulate people like Scottish people. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably more more true. But no, it's a wonderful thing. As long as you develop curious people and you understand. We do. I've had my team read a book lately that was more understanding cultures because I had a lot of Americans who weren't used to mm. dealing with other cultures. Mm. And knowing that people aren't being cruel or weird or just culturally different mm. and you need to be curious. And that curiosity seems to work like wherever I land and I meet new people it feels like home every time and it's uncanny mm. we did a film after we did this big survey I sent our storyteller out on a journey across here's all the countries go to these countries and film people and he came back and I said how was that and he went well it was all different like I don't know if we can make anything out of this and a couple of weeks later he said come and look at this and he said look and he made this film you can see it online it's we are NOV but that's natural. Everyone finishes each other's sentence. It's really weird because we never told anyone that. Intrinsic behavior of people who manufacture things, not all oil and gas, but we manufacture things. We're from small companies. We're proud of what we do. We don't feel an overburden of a company that takes away our identity to some big mass thing that we can't understand. It feels a lot more local, a lot more enjoyable. And I always feel like if we went for some cultural model that belonged with other corporations, we all wouldn't want to be here. When you're looking at a company, doing the due diligence and assessing the fit, both from a maybe a business standpoint, is there also a cultural angle to the diligence or do you just... Probably without thinking, there is a fit that tends to always happen. There's been a couple of times we bought a company that wasn't a high performer and it was really awkward and took us years to solve. Most acquisitions since then have not been like that. We, we definitely look inside of this driven, high performer, agile. We love to take small companies big fast and they love it. They've got a great product, but they don't know how to go international. And what's weird is most people, the word acquisition says disruption to my day, it says new people, says problems and politics. It doesn't do that for us. Yeah. We love acquisition. Like you get used to it. Oh, a new family member. And it mm -hmm. really, how can I help you? And at first they're like, don't you mean, how can I hurt you? Mm -hmm. How can I tell you you're doing something wrong? Or it has a natural feel that it's quite encouraging to have someone come. Do you mind if I sell your stuff in Argentina? Yeah. No, please, please do. You know, that's interesting. It reminds me a little bit of, if you think about modern ways of working. It reminds me a bit of autonomous, fully functional squads or multidisciplinary mm -hmm. squads. Mm -hmm. You're acquiring these squads, if I take that analogy to the next step, and supporting them and allowing them to continue to be successful, but you're not impeding them, getting in their way, an imposition of a bunch of folks into some team that has a loosely coupled and finite timeline. It's more yeah. like you've acquired functioning bits. You don't want to break those up, but you want to I guess my question would be like, how do you take the best of what those are and bring them up and then spread that back out? Is there a way to do that? It was really interesting how we've worked that out. How do you learn from each other? Well, there's nightmares that come with our approach in your guys' space where you start dealing with lots of ERPs or you do systems and it's taken us years to think that's a wise decision to align that. But what a painful choice after hundreds of ERPs around yeah. the world you can imagine. Groups chose to do it on their own, but 
So there's definitely things of learning from each other. And so we developed mechanisms of learning for professionals where you're not going to say, I need you to, so we can buy from each other at cost all the time. So there's a method of encouraging commerce across the company instead of saying you have to buy. So it's like we can buy from each other, which, you know, you don't have to. We'll never tell you to do something because we have to serve you properly. Outside of that mechanism, there's just social structures that don't work. We're not naturally connected yet. And so we created learning systems where we would take people, say if they're engineers, and you want to get them to learn about commercialization. And so we would have a college class that they could all go to, people from all over the world, and they get to invent or work with new inventions across the company and make it successful. And so they have an eight-month program. In selling, you get to go sell anything in the company, go make $2 million and deliver it in eight months. And you let people go. I have an engineering competition where we just pick up problems people have and we say, okay, two days, everyone around the world solve this problem. And what happens is people have fun. They connect with each other and the barriers get broken. And then when they have a problem in business, they go back to that person and go, hey, you know what would be really good? So it's natural. We don't tell people you have to anything. So like growing children, you need them to be adult and own their decisions and be responsible. But you want them to be around each other and, and have healthy memories of working with each other. And, and it, it works a lot more naturally. Mm. I think this is healthy because it, I love this story because I think it's probably, we've done it before. We've bought companies and you literally end up seeing it yeah, almost away. swept away. I think recently we've bought a couple of companies and really start to think, hold on, we bought it for a reason. Let's keep it. Let's move it. I've seen it in oil and gas as well. I'm involved in a lot of joint ventures or acquisitions. And it works, but it's a wave. Three months and it's gone. The culture's not there and it's someone else. And it's a tough one. Yeah, and then yeah. you get flight. You, you know, everybody leaves and yeah. you know, all the talent that brought it there isn't there anymore. And It's not a perfect system. There is no perfect system. I like it. I mean, there's people, someone today was telling me, I feel like we lost this, this edge that we had and um, you get those stories where things, and sometimes it's just, it's a different thing. It's not the company making you do something. It's a change in the market or, but people feel like, oh, I lost something. But generally, most people keep their culture. Some will take, uh, we've had one group, I won't say who, but they took a decade to decide, you know what, we're a part of this bigger family and it's good for us. If you went to a specific application and you'd see all their stuff there, they all sold it independently. There was no reason that nobody said, I'm buying NOV for this whole whatever it is that I'm describing, <laughs> trying to keep them from knowing who they are. But that today, as the culture moves on, there, people forget that ever was a thing. You know, you give it a good five years and people deep in the rig brand, we have hundreds of acquisitions. No one knows anything but rig at this point as a mm. product because they're the most consolidated over time. And the old brands are kind of memories. They're product names now, but there was times where you could have never, it's not possible for us to drop this. And it was the right thing not to drop it until it was the right time. Do you do much publicizing of what your culture is, what your values are, or no. the vision of the company? Is that a thing at NOV? When we did the study, the kind of three values that we found, you will find them around. But if you ask people, I'm sure they wouldn't know them by rote. There's not like posters around or cues or mm -hmm. <laughs> in the corporate headquarters. And it doesn't walk around, you'll see them. But they're like they're statements. They're not together so that you can remember them. There's no mm -hmm. card so you can remember who we are, because people just work out who we are. You don't do that in your family. You don't have the three things we are. Let's remember to say them. So it's not very natural. But people like it because it makes sense to them. It's a lot more, I mean, it's very simple. We're not doing anything complex. It's global family. 
purposeful innovation and service above all. And that's us. Even if someone didn't say those three things, I don't really care, but they would describe those components when they were talking about us. And that's all you need. You don't need robots. You need human beings with stories of their own. Just taking it a little bit further then, we're going, clearly we've come out of COVID, thank goodness. Oh, good. Because I'm going to the Middle East this week and it doesn't feel like we're oh, really? out of COVID. Anyway, you got yeah, a mask? Go I'm going to need a mask. Are you there's really? a fine. And then there's, still is a then fine there's tests, mm-hmm, tests every couple of days. Wow. Wow. I guess now we've got COVID gone and we've got this energy transition and people trying to push people back to work, which again, if you think about it, the culturing, I've heard a couple of companies this week of demanding people come back. That seems almost counterintuitive of hold on the culture and looking after people what's your view your personal view of this we're trying to get people back to the office we've got a fright every couple of fridays getting the team in doing a presentation bring some clients in but what's your view so there was a corporate position on this which my view going through it was very trust oriented very early and lots of conversation lots of creating social times so even through COVID, our, our Monday morning get together, we still do it because we liked it. We're all there. It's Monday morning, you know, and internationally, everyone's there. And it doesn't have a general has to ending has to happen. Although I did report our COVID numbers all the way through, which was good. People like knowing how many cases we had and transparency. Well, the company eventually said, okay, you can have two days where you work from home. You just got to call them out to the company. And my team reached out and said, is this us too? And I'm like, no. No, it's not, which is, this is very NOV. Like we often break the rules because the rules don't exist for us to serve them. They exist for us to help us. So I said the same thing to my team. I was like, what, what do we want to do? And I said, let me just throw this out before we decide what we want to do. I notice when we get together that the quiet people, when we let them can speak a bit and the noisy people, when we tell them will quieten down. And that effect of us just becoming better in our community together is really, really important to me. The efficiency of relationship and trust and knowing each other is really powerful. So I just want to make sure we all gather, which we did already. We had social meals where we make breakfast. We used to call it Friends Day Friday. Bring your family in or whatever, and you make breakfast for the whole team. That kind of went away. So I knew asking people to go that far was we weren't ready for that. So we have a meal on a Thursday. And it goes out to the whole group, like, what do you want to get? And everyone gets together. So here that happens. It's a beautiful thing. It's the family around the table for the meal. It's a good thing. Barriers break down. I always tell them it's the most efficient thing that we do. Because otherwise people see people they don't really know and think things about them. And they develop judgments and they develop thoughts. And and it just makes all this dysfunction happen. So you're building paths, pathways and connections between Mm -hmm. folks who otherwise may not have them. Or maybe they're, they're just not wide open. And that is a means to, I mean, it may sound cynical, but a means to an end to drive better efficiency in the way that you operate. It is more cynical, but it is accurate because culture, the people who hired on as we went into COVID left and we didn't have people leaving us, but they had no reason to stay. What were we? We were just another person giving them parcels of work to do every Mm -hmm. day. And work is a lot more than that. It's a lot more relationship. The people they hired during COVID, just to repeat what you said, left. And that was atypical of the persons, the the people that you hired at NOV over time. I mean, our numbers went over double figures for attrition, which had us in horror and shock. 
apparently that's not that bad. <laughs> mm. But for us, it's really crazy. It has us like wondering what we is, do. Is wrong. that a corporately measured number across all of your entities or is that entity by entity? No, everyone's measured by everyone, yeah. There's some things we do in the corporation that are just healthy. So pulse surveys, we do that. I make it a huge part of the conversation because any kind of private expression of pain is good to learn about because how do you know? All the managers want to know who was it. And I'm like, it doesn't matter <laughs> because we're going to get this right. But our numbers in my groups that I've had for a long time are up and they're unbeatable numbers. So I'm not that normal because I really obsess on the personal happiness of people and working on teams. Mm. In the middle of COVID, teamwork got 100%. So I asked the HR group, I said, has anyone ever had 100%? They said, actually, we looked at this and the company that does the survey says they've never seen 100%. Like we get 95% at anything. I'm like, okay, what's the 5%? And they're like, come on. We're like above everyone else. I'm like, I want to know the five. Let's look at the 5%. Mm. Let's talk about that. That's more how I'm wired. I grew up in the Varco part of the company. They had a very different culture. But years ago, I started teaching leadership based on that culture, which was because the company wasn't, that was a traditional kind of oil and gas equipment company which I wasn't a fan of. So I just started teaching leadership and doing that because I wanted more of what I think is a healthier environment. I may be more the exception, but there's a lot of people who have been trained in the same thinking over years now. And this hybrid thing's not new. We were talking about this the other day, Jerry. I mean, we were trying to attract more female to work in our oil and gas industry. We're going to have to show more flexibility. I think people are looking at this go to back to work as it's new. I don't think it is, is it? We weren't very good at it. And now that you let people taste what real life balance looks like, company has to change. And that's why even on our uh, Thursday meal day, it's like we started going, well, what's the beginning time of work and what's the end time? Not when everyone starts and finishes, but when are the most of us in and we can have less meetings and bump into each other a bit more. And it really got interesting to who, because people definitely want to drop their kids off and pick them up. And I'm like, great. And we're still in the place where, hey, I'm in the car with the kids, so I'm going to be on mute or not, depending, you know. <laughs> but but we all still have learned to love that. And that should never change, that your life should be healthy and balanced. I, I think if we get this wrong, he has an NLV and IBM. Think if people start pushing the three-day, and you must. Mm. I think it will just drive up attrition. People will end up going, surely, to the places where they want to work. I where think so. Culture. There's a little bit of behavior that is really pandemic plus behavior that says I can work anywhere because employment is up. Employment is at an all-time high. So there's a bit of that mix that bad behaviors came out of harder times and people, I can't get a job, so I'll put up with stuff. And so we've gone through just a balancing of the voice of the employee being really strong, but it shouldn't be that. It should just be this works, true productivity. Mm. And it's pure business to, to look after human beings and see have a philosophy that says my job with employees is to grow the employees and make their life better and the output of that is great business but most people think i've got great business to do how do i use employees to get that done? that's an old theory mm. that is proven to not be as effective as i everyone. mean to put crudely it's a bit like the whip versus motivation right yeah, yeah. and you're pushing on the side of motivation which i, I have a lot of respect for that and David, you brought up a point about people being on mute in the car or not, or maybe getting a glimpse into their life in a way that you wouldn't have. I thought one of the most interesting and unique parts of the 
pandemic was the glimpses that you got into people's personal lives. Mm -hmm. And when you look at someone's office setup, for instance, now a lot of people would engineer that and there were classes Mm -hmm. on how to Mm -hmm. have a professional office setup. And I found that to be all a bit like, much, but I love asking people about like what's that plaque about or who's that picture of or what's oh, that yeah. book about. And it gives you an insight that you wouldn't have had before. And if you just pull on that thread a little bit, I think you really can start to unearth the humanity yeah. uh, that's behind all the folks that work with you and for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important part of building those connections. I mean, when we went in, I said, okay, my team at least, because a lot of people thought, hey, I have to have cameras on, which was pretty funny. But I was like, we need to have cameras on, not because I don't trust you guys, because I don't trust me. I promise you, if my camera's off, I'm doing something else. Maybe two meetings at once. <laughs> yeah. And and I sometimes do that. And then I'm like, just to let you know that's happening. So if you need me to say the word David, because I'm kind of half listening. I know now how to deal with you. And I'm <laughs> You've David, never you're seen not me. listening. Get, I need to see your face. <laughs> Get funny. on camera, David. Probably not appropriate, but it's just no, survival. No. That's why I want to have the camera on for my own discipline or I can easily not be there, Mm -hmm. you know, and you'll see it. So I wonder if it's any real, my last point in this one is, is it really any different to what we were doing? I've lived in Houston for three years. You guys have lived a lot more. Generally, people were doing what, two, three days a week in the office? We're traveling a lot. It's a very Houston specifically. I'm spending an hour in the car. I I know you, 45 an hour. I can do a lot more work from home. So it's not like my productivity's gone down. But I do need that focus, that face-to-face. Yeah, I overwork when I'm at home. I'm not healthy because I have a work addiction. So it's good to know, right? And it made me worry a lot more about everyone else. Some of our folks had huge depression issues and they had to start talking about it because they're like, as soon as I can get in the office, I need that separation. We got into subjects. I talked to a lot of people who are married and I said, okay, normally around the 10-year mark of marriage, you start to be honest you're getting there in two years because you're seeing your spouse more than you ever mm. have. And so I know it's probably stressful at home right now. Some of the working moms, they like dropping the kids off. And so very controlled, like I have a very controlled way of being. I like things to be the way they are. And the kids now, I'm having issues with my kids and how I feel about it. So these are real things that were happening in people's lives that weren't happening before. Mm. And change the dynamic as well as are we invited in to have that conversation that used to be none of our business. Is this becoming now a personal therapy session? Have you been talking to Margaret? I have. I didn't know how to do this. This is <laughs> terrible th- thoughts in my head now, David. It's, it's intervention, actually. <laughs> Thank <so>. you. <laughs> All right, Margaret, you can come in. <laughs> <laughs> the game's up. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Jerry, yeah. any more questions before we wrap up here? No, I think it's a fascinating case study if you were to do a book on or a well, I guess we did a bit of a show on on the culture at NOV. It sounds a bit like, I don't want to say laissez-faire, but it's a bit it's like messy. set it and forget it, but with attention to humanity mm. and feeling or trying to create that feeling of family mm. um, or through just the actions of the leadership team and all the things that you do, making sure folks know they're part of a family and mm. they can count on you. I don't know how to sum it up otherwise, but- We, we do a lot of live shows and things to communicate, which we learned a while back. When we do our report to the market, I do an interview with Clay and Jose after. And those things where they're more natural and you ask questions that an employee would say, you said that, what does that mean? And are we in trouble? Or are we okay? You know, what's going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I think people get to get that feeling of seeing us laugh and make fun of each other and do just be ourselves. It makes them go, oh, this is okay. And I think when people feel like I'm not perfect as a human being and that's okay, 
you can go a long way with people. Yeah. You know the person we need to get on the next time, David, with you is Liz, don't we? Yeah. Liz Swigger. I'm just thinking as you were, some of your answers. Mm. Liz, Liz could Liz tell you. Liz would be a fantastic. She, she, well, she'd explain there's a science to that. There would be. We'd all be quiet. That's, We'd have to listen to That's a proven fact. Sorry, Liz, if you're going to yeah, listen yeah. to this. We should definitely do that. One other thing. You said we are NOV. I think, is that what it was? That's the video on is YouTube. Is there a link or something like that? Just go to YouTube and search we are NOV. Okay. We should put mm-hmm. that in the show notes yeah. uh, so folks can find that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's natural. It looks like it's staged. It was so bizarre because it just chops between people finishing each other's sentences. Mm. It's uh, first time I watched it. It's moving. It's long. You have to love us enough to watch the whole thing. <laughs> okay. But, uh, Be warned, yeah, listeners. It's long, but it makes NOV people tear up. It's really funny because wow. it is who we are. Nice. So, Jerry, see, another foreigner, as David will say. Ferner. 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 Well, foreigner. Scottish people aren't bad. I've got Welsh heritage. Oh, yeah, that's the same. Exactly. Isn't that that like just basically South Scotland? It's an island, you know. (laughs) (laughs) This will be the next podcast of British Isles to the British Isles. Explain how many countries are in this country. Exactly. No, thank you so much, David. That was really illuminating. Appreciate you sharing all those insights. Appreciate it. See you soon. We are going in this podcast to do more interviews with universities, CXOs, colleges. I'd love to get you back and sort of. We're going to get people on stage, a few more people, and try and pick up some subjects where we can really drill into. So I'd love to get you back into Yeah, happy to help. David Reed. thank you very much. This was Energy Workforce of Tomorrow. Jerry, signing off. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. Mm-hmm.